0: All right, last thing I want to talk about is Ukraine. Uh, I talked to uh, a friend, pastor of mine, who was the missions pastor at Calvary Chapel. He, a uh, mentor of mine, uh, especially as I entered in as the missions pastor here. And uh, John Chubik, Pastor John Chubik, had planted a church in Ukraine and, and was there for uh, 11 years, and now he's, he's here. But I figured if there was somebody that had contact with people that were, what was going on, it would be him. And so I called him yesterday and asked him for prayer requests. And he shared a couple of things about what was going on in the Ukraine. And I'm sure maybe some of you have friends and have heard people heard. But uh, he was sharing with me that uh, one of his, uh, the ministers who helped plant the church that he planted, Pasha, is actually currently in a foxhole on the front lines. And uh, so he said he had good connection with him up until like two days ago. And then all the cell stuff cut, cut out. And then uh, he was sharing a story about some of the missionaries because many of the missionaries have uh, decided to stay as long as possible. Uh, One particular, George Markey, he had actually sent his family out of the country but was staying. And then he felt the Lord say, you need to go. So he left and uh, the very next day his apartment complex was destroyed by a missile. Uh, so, uh, But uh, they, they, one of the things that the Ukrainians have, have commented and the uh, Christians there are how much they recognize that the world is praying for them. The Christian community around the world is praying for them. Uh, they said they can literally fill the, the prayers. And so they're asking that God would stop the evil, that God would lead his people and use them uh, to bring comfort and salvation during this time. Uh, which I love that prayer, and, and I, I believe CBN reported that the Ukraine has the most Christians per population in all of Europe, as far as a country goes, so uh, so they, here they are asking that God would use them to bring comfort and salvation to others they 're also asking for practice, prayer for practical wisdom that the Holy Spirit would lead them to know when to go and when to leave and when to fight uh, and uh, They they were commenting about how the Christians in the surrounding countries have uh, been coming together to receive refugees in uh, Poland, Hungary, Romania. The Christian ministries and churches are receiving many, many refugees and coming together. And then the last thing was that the pastors in Russia, the Calvary Chapel pastors in Russia held a prayer meeting, and uh, they invited other pastors to come, and they're praying that... uh, that Putin would turn around, that he would stop this madness. They don't even understand it. So they're asking uh, to to be a part of that prayer. So we, we do want to take a moment and pray for them, and then we'll get into the Word tonight. Uh, let's see. Do we have an elder in the... We don't have any elders in this meeting? All right. Uh, there we go. Manny, there you are. If Scott's outside. I know. What good is he now? Manny, why don't you go ahead and pray for the Ukraine? Amen, Lord, and we thank you so much uh, for these dear Christians that want to be used mightily for your kingdom, Lord, that they want to bring comfort and salvation to those in need, and so, Lord, we do pray that you'd honor that request amidst this trying time, and I can only imagine what that might be like to all of a sudden be attacked and be at war, and Lord, we've we've been so... uh, blessed by the peace that we've been allowed to have by your mercy and your grace in this country. And so, Lord, we do remember them, and we'll continue praying for our brothers and our sisters and those in need there. Uh, Lord, you move nations and people, and God, you are sovereignly in control, and your providence never ends. So we may not understand this, but God, we ask for you to to continue to use our brothers and sisters there. And, Lord, um, open up doors for us to minister as well. Uh, we, Lord, we know that uh, this nation also needs to hear your gospel. And, uh, and Lord, maybe you want to use us also in some way to minister to those from the Ukraine. So, Lord, here we are. Uh, use us. And now as we enter into your word, dear God, we ask for you to bless us, uh, teach us now. We thank you, Lord, for this time together and the fellowship here and the wonderful worship. Uh, you are worthy of our praise and we pray all this in Jesus' name, Amen. Oh, and uh, one last thing: we have the congregational meeting Wednesday night. I believe there's some of the leftover uh, reports in the back of the foyer, so you can get that if you weren't able to make it. All right. With that said, we are in First King or Second Kings, chapter eight tonight. I'm just going to pull up my notes here. Second Kings, chapter eight. And uh, last week we left off with uh, these uh, glutted, happy lepers who stumbled upon the grace of God (laughs) as the Syrian army was driven away and and, uh, God uh, rescued Israel, the northern kingdom. And so now we're picking up uh, with another great story. We're going to be reintroduced to a couple people we've already met in the past, and uh, so let me go ahead and turn to chapter, here we are, chapter 8. Uh, so starting at verse 1 of Second Kings chapter 8, says, Then Elisha spoke to the woman whose son had, been, had uh, he had restored to life, saying, Arise and go, you and your household, and stay wherever you can. For the Lord has called for a famine, and furthermore, it will come upon the land for seven years." so the woman arose and did according to the saying of the man of God. And she went with her household and dwelt in the land of the Philistines seven years. Now, if you remember Elisha, uh, the Shunammite woman who Elisha raised her son from the dead. Uh, she, this woman uh, had just wanted to bless Elisha. And she actually added on to her house so that he would have a place to stay when he came through. Well, he had told her... Uh, to go away, there's this famine coming. So she went and she obeyed the prophet of God, took her household and her son, and went away for the seven years. Now, the the next part of this passage, the question is whether or not this is in the correct timeline order for the book of 2 Kings. And uh, the reason why is we're gonna be reintroduced to Gehazi. And Gehazi was the servant of the man of God, the servant of Elisha, and if you remember, Gehazi was serving Elisha when Naaman, the king uh, or the uh, captain of Syria came and he was leprous. I, I believe, was it Benny who taught on that passage uh, while I was gone? Uh, he was leprous and he, uh, he came to get healing. Elisha healed him and then sent him on his way. He tried to pay Elijah, Elisha, but Elisha said, no, no, I won't accept it. And uh, you just go, and part of that was the fact that this was from God, this was God's dealing, and you can't buy off God or pay off God. So Naaman went on his way, and Gehazi ran ahead, met Naaman, and said, oh, you know, uh, you probably should leave some clothes and some things, uh, maybe a tip here or there. (laughs) And, And he got some money out of him, so he comes back to Elisha, and Elisha basically says, what have you done? And he knows right away, of course, what Gehazi has done. And he curses Gehazi. Actually, I should say the Lord curses Gehazi through the mouth of Elisha that he would become leprous. So the question is if, if this is during that period of time where Gehazi is leprous. And I think it just might be. But here we go in verse 3. It came to pass at the end of seven years that the woman returned from the land of the Philistines. And she went to make an appeal to the king for her house and for her land. Then the king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me, please, all the great things Elisha has done. Uh, This is one of those times where you might want to circle or underline in your Bible, it came to pass. And just put, God brought to pass. And the reason why I want to say that is, it just so happens that this woman is coming back and her land and her possessions, her household, or sorry, her household and her land are no longer hers because she's abandoned them. So she's coming to the king of Israel, which is the son of Ahab, to ask if she he would give her back his land. And, I mean, to a certain extent, she's probably going to say... Look, I obeyed the mouth of the man of God, the prophet of God. I went, and now please give me back my land. Other people are living in the house and all these things, and I've lost everything. And And uh, I don't know about you, but given the way uh, the king's father, Ahab, responded, and the fact that he took people's land, I don't know that there'd be much hope. But it just so happens that Gehazi, the servant of Elijah, is there. And notice what the king is asking ...of the servant, tell me, please, all the great things Elijah has done. And so Gehazi is telling of these great things. Now it happened, there it is again, you can underline, circle that, as he was telling the king how he had restored the dead to life, that there was the woman whose son he had restored to life, appealing to the king for her house for and for her land. Uh, <clears throat> sorry, I lost my place. And for her land. And Gehazi said... My lord, O king, this is the woman, and this is her son, whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed a certain officer for her, saying, Restore all that was hers and all the proceeds of the field from the day that she left the land until now. And, uh, you know, this isn't something that is a miraculous miracle, a miracle Uh, In the sense of restoring a a dead son to life or uh, the jars of oil or anything like that. We don't see this extreme miracle here. But certainly we can absolutely see the hand of God in dealing with this woman and taking care of her. Because of these words, it came to pass and it happened so. And the reason why I love this story so much is that God is orchestrating events. And for those who honor the Lord and walk in the Lord, you can know for certain that God is orchestrating the events around you and the events of your life, that God is sovereignly in control, and you're never outside of His providence. And that is a beautiful truth to to remind yourself of always, even in those hard times, those times in which we use words like, I have to endure through it, because nobody wants to endure anything. Uh, that's just not human nature to endure. Uh, but, but there are times in our lives where we do have to endure, and so we can know that God is providential, providential in our lives, and he's orchestrating things. So this woman happens to be there to pill for her land when Gehazi is reporting about what Elisha has done. Now, I want to say something about Gehazi. If this event happened after he was struck, cursed with leprosy, We can see something about Gehazi that certainly I would say that we could say that Gehazi has repented of his sin, and he's proclaiming. I mean, he could lie here. He could tell the king, oh, I don't know anything about what Elisha's done. I'm bitter, and I'm mad at Elisha, and all these sorts of things, but here he is reporting to the king, if this is the case where this is happening in chronological order, that he's now reporting to the king all these marvelous things that... That God has done through the prophet Elisha and he happens to see wait a minute that's the woman that's her she's the one and so we see that the king is appointing an officer to her to restore all that was hers and all the proceeds of the field from the day that she left the land until now now that's a wonderful wonderful ending for this woman the Shunammite woman and uh, to see God restoring those things to her and giving them back to her. And uh, it just goes to show that God is absolutely in control, even over wicked kings. And I think sometimes we need to remind ourselves of that. When we have wicked representatives or people in a, a powerful position, we might not hope for much from them. But we have to remember that God is ultimately in control. And it is important for the Christian to continue being prayerful praying to God, pursuing God, asking for God to move, and then using the means that has been given to us to petition for a good outcome. See, this woman goes to a king. She could have said, oh, forget it. This king is so wicked and evil. What is he, how is he gonna honor the Lord? And if I say, oh, the, the man of God, the prophet of God has told me to go, uh, well, he doesn't even respect Elijah. I mean, she could have taken that position and never gone. But I want to say that in application of this purpose, I think for for me in in my day, in my circumstances and time, I I see this as a way to recognize that God is in control and I should use the means that God has given to me uh, to petition leaders, to ask for things that are right, to pray for uh, good and for righteousness to be done and for God to put away evil in individuals. So I think that's an important application for this story of the Shunammite woman's land being restored. And uh, I love the fact that it says restore all that was hers and all the proceeds of the field from the day that she left the land until now. By the way, in the future, we're going to see God restoring all that is promised to Israel And we're going to see that the Lord Jesus taking his throne upon, uh, his throne here on earth as he implements his millennial reign, and he'll restore everything that belongs to his people the way it should be. So that's something to look forward to in the future. All right, uh, verse 7, then Elisha went to Damascus, and Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, was sick. And it was told him, saying, the man of God has come here, and... "'The king said to Hazael, "'Take a present in your hand "'and go to meet the man of God "'and inquire of the Lord by him, "'saying, Shall I recover from this disease?' "'So Hazael went to meet him "'and took a present with him "'of every good thing of Damascus, forty camel loads. "'And he he came and stood before him "'and said, Your son Ben-Hadag, "'king of Syria, has sent me to you, "'saying, Shall I recover from this disease?' Now, let me just pause there for a moment. Uh, we have, obviously, the king of Syria, Ben-Hadad, sick. And, and he hears about Elisha in town. And so he said, all right, Hazael, go find out if I'm going to recover. That, that's a prophet of God. I love the fact that even the unbelieving nations around know of Elisha. But let's talk about Hazael for a minute. Hazael, actually, we've met before in the Scriptures, and we met him during. We were introduced to him during the ministry of Elijah. Uh, you can turn over real fast to First Kings nineteen. We'll pull it up here. First Kings nineteen verses fifteen uh, through seventeen. And uh, we remember that uh, the Lord said to Elijah, Elijah. Th- this was right after Elijah has. uh, God had the victory at Mount Carmel and used Elijah to call down fire from heaven. And then Elijah was really depressed and he went off. And God said, what are you doing? And Elijah said, oh, man, just take my life. And God said, no, what are you doing? This is what I want you to do. And so this is what he says. Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Verse 16 Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel, uh, Meholah, you shall anoint as a prophet in your place. Verse 17. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Okay? So that's that's the prophecy that Elijah is given by God about Hazael that he's told earlier on to go anoint Hazael as king over Syria. So now we we move forward some time to Elisha's ministry and Hazael comes to ask about Ben-Hadad, king of Syria. And verse 10 is where we're picking back up. And Elisha said to him, "'Go, say to him, you shall certainly recover. "'However, the Lord has shown me that he will really die.'" So there's two parts to this message. He's not going to die of the disease, but he's going to die. Then he set his countenance in a stare until he was ashamed, and the man of God wept. So we can see this picture. As Elisha is giving the message to Hazael, he's just staring. And then the staring turns in to weeping. So he answered... Uh, or sorry, Hazael said, "Why is my Lord weeping?" He answered, "Because I know the evil that you will do to the children of Israel. Their strongholds you will set on fire. Their young men you will kill with the sword, and you will dash their children and rip open their women with child." So Hazael said, "But what is your servant a dog that he should do this gross thing?" And Elisha answered, the Lord has shown me that you will become king over Syria. So as Elisha is giving this prophecy, he's also given this vision of what will happen. And uh, you know, what do they say? Ignorance is bliss, right? Uh, sometimes not knowing is almost better than knowing. And, uh, and I'm not, I'm not say, is quoting that as a scriptural idea, okay? But what I'm saying is that uh, as Elisha is given this vision of Hazael, it brings him to weep for his people. It's this terrible vision of what Hazael was due. Of course, Hazael says, like, listen, I would never do these gross things. I I wouldn't act this way. I wouldn't rip open women's wombs. I wouldn't dash children to pieces off walls. I wouldn't kill people and burn strongholds. That's not me. But the problem is the Lord knows the heart, doesn't he? And the Lord knows exactly what Hazael will do. So verse 14, it says, Then he departed from Elisha, came to his master and said to him, What did Elisha say to you? And he answered, He told me you would surely recover. Verse 15, But it happened on the next day that Hazael took a thick cloth and dipped it in water and spread it over his face so that he died. And Hazael reigned in his place. And so he suffocated Bin hadad taking his place on the throne. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Sometimes we just refuse to believe uh, any type of rebuke from the Lord or any type of uh, correction. Or, and sometimes uh, when, when someone comes to us to speak to us about something, we have a tendency to, well, I don't know about that. But uh, Hazael here, as he hears this word from the Lord, he goes, that's not me. And then he goes and does that very thing. He kills Ben-Hadad. And we're going to see Hazael again. Obviously, we're going to see this prophecy, uh, these prophecy of the Lord come true, as it always does. But uh, it's just a sad commentary. And Elisha gives him this prophecy. So verse 16 Uh, Now, in the fifth year of Jehoram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Jehoshaphat having been king of Judah, Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, began to reign as king of Judah. So let me explain what we're doing now. We haven't really talked about the southern kingdom for quite some time. We're moving back over to the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, if you remember, uh, with the division of the kingdoms, we have the northern kingdom, which we call Israel, and there's 10 tribes there. And then we have the southern kingdom, which we call Judah, and that is the tribe of Judah and Benjamin in the southern kingdom. And if you remember that God basically has established Judah uh, and be, as, a, as a promise to fulfill what he said to David, King David. Uh, so that is, uh, that is why God has left uh, someone on the throne in Judah, even with their wickedness. Well, Jehoshaphat was actually uh, a pretty good king. Jehoshaphat, we saw in the past, uh, really did uh, marvelous things to restore uh, faith in God or to continue with faith in God. He Every time he was attacked, he turned to the Lord. He even called for a whole fast uh, for the people of Israel. And uh, last time we saw Jehoshaphat, he had been fighting alongside King Ahab, if you remember. And every time Jehoshaphat went around Ahab, Ahab would say, hey, will you go to war with me? And Jehoshaphat would say, well, wait a minute, have you consulted a prophet? We should consult the Lord here to know whether we should do this or not. And if you remember, uh, there was a, a time when uh, Ahab didn't want to bring the one prophet. He brought all these false prophets, and Jehoshaphat said, oh, no, I not I don't know. Don't you have anybody who will speak the truth? (laughs) And so Jehoshaphat is uh, somewhat of a good king, but he comes to the place where he passes, and his son Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, began to reign as king of Judah. So this is how you can tell the difference. Jehoram, with no H, is the son of Ahab, and he's the king of the northern kingdom. Jehoram, with an H is the son of Jehoshaphat, but king of the southern kingdom Judah, okay? So he was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, just as the house of Ahab had done. For the daughter of Ahab was his wife, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Yet the Lord would not destroy Judah for the sake of his servant David, as he promised him, To give a lamp to him and his sons forever. So, this is actually a really bad commentary on Jehoram. Jehoram walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. We see that Jehoram is a very evil king, an evil king for for the kingdom of Judah, and he's doing the things that the kings of Israel would do the false worship of God, the false worship of false gods. And he's proceeding in uh, uh, disobedience and rebellion against the Lord. And why is he doing it? We get an explanation here. Because he married the daughter of Ahab. Now, how would you like to have Jezebel for a mother-in-law? Wow. If you have a problem with your mother-in-law, trust me, you don't have a problem with your mother-in-law. This guy has a problem with his mother-in-law. <laughs> the most wicked woman in the Old Testament, Jezebel. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm done with the mother-in-law jokes. <laughs> but, uh, 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 but anyway, Jezebel uh, is his mother-in-law. Now, I, I want to say something about this for a moment because Jehoshaphat made a mistake, I believe, with his son Jehoram. Uh, we know that earlier on when we read the story of Jehoshaphat even coming down to battle alongside Jeho- uh, Ahab, it was a part of it was because of this this uh, marriage that he had uh, united their kingdoms through marriage. And I want to just make a comment to those who are single today. Those of you who have not found a spouse yet, we know the Bible says he who finds a wife finds a good thing. And obviously, vice versa on that. But I think it's really important that you look for good character in your spouse. Here, Jehoram marries uh, the the daughter of the most wicked and evil couple that we uh, that we see as these kings, Jezebel and Ahab, and and they're continually mentioned as wicked. And we see it obviously has an effect on him and his faith. And I want to say this to to you out there who are looking for a spouse no matter how good the union might look no matter how how much it might looks or how well it looks from the outside be it strategic union hopefully you're not marrying for strategic things anymore or or be it that it looks really good on or he or she looks really good on the outside Consider the character of the individual, because I'll tell you right now, things don't get better after marriage. In fact, actually, things degrade after marriage. They get worse, and I, I can't tell you how many times I've told people this, young people who want to get married, that, like, hey, there are some red flags here, and these should be really paid attention to. Uh, you, it's not going to get better after marriage. It's only going to get worse. No, 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 it'll be great. I'm like, well, oh, I don't know. And um, you should really look to who you're marrying um, and, and make sure you pray about it. Seek the Lord uh, in your marriage. It, honestly, marriage is the most important decision you're going to, one of the most important decisions you're going to make in your life. Obviously, there's the decision to follow Jesus Christ. We're going to call that number one. But number two is going to be that spouse. You're definitely going to, I mean, because who you marry also depends on how you raise your kids and the decision-making for the rest of your life, and they can lead you away from the Lord. They can lead you away from the things that God wants you investing in and the the ministries that God has set before you. Uh, I comment all the time about how blessed I am that the Lord gave me Laura. Uh, I always tell her that I'm just amazed that God, I mean, I was a knucklehead, and God... (laughs) God knew. I, I mean, listen, when I was uh, getting, when I felt like the Lord was calling me into ministry and I, I had been praying about it, and uh, I came to her and I said, okay, Laura, God's calling me into ministry. Either you're going to be a part of this or we need to break up. It was not a great way to handle that. I mean, it was true, but it was not a great way to tell this person, <laughs> tell her how much I, because I loved her and we were getting serious and just not a great way to break it. And uh, Laura, basically said, huh, okay. Well, later on, she comes back and she says, no, I, I, I'm I, in for this. And I, I, over and over, as uh, I've been in ministry, she has been an incredible support to the work of God. And I mean, I always, I thought it was just normal that uh, wives are okay with their husbands just leaving for a couple of weeks and going to another country and all these things. Turns out that's not normal. So... <laughs> So, uh, and every time I go on a mission trip uh, or I've done something, I, I say, oh, Laura, I think God is, I think I'm, I'm, I'm going here next week. Or, and you guys heard, you know, about that last trip to Africa. I think I had three days before I left, or uh, four days. And I called her up and I said, Laura, I, I think I'm going to Kenya on, on Tuesday. And she's like, oh, Okay. <laughs> I said, all right, um, and and there's been times when she says, I don't think you should go, and I said, okay, you just pray about this. She's like, okay, I'll pray about it, and she calls me back later, a couple hours later saying, you should go, so either she's upset at me or she's listening to the Lord, you know, <laughs> no, but uh, I'll tell you, I, I'm just so blessed by my wife and uh, what a godly woman she is, and so I, I know she's probably cringing that I'm speaking about her, but but uh, it's really the truth. So uh, young, those of you who are single, I really want to encourage you, uh, take time and wait on the Lord. I know sometimes we get in a position where we feel like, oh, I got to get married. I got to get married. I got to do this. But uh, that is an important decision. And don't uh, make this mistake of Jehoram and uh, as he married this woman, this daughter of Ahab. So Now, there's a couple more things I want to talk about. Oh, let's go to verse 20. In his days, in Jehoram's days, Edom revolted against Judah's authority and made a king over themselves. So Joram went to Zaire and all his chariots with him. Then he rose by night and attacked the Edomites who had surrounded him. The captains of their chariots and the troops fled their tents. Thus, Edom has been in revolt against Judah's authority to this day. And Libnah revolted at that time. Now, the rest of the acts of Joram and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So, Joram rested with his fathers and was buried, and his fathers in the city of David. Then Ahaziah, his son, reigned in his place. Okay, sorry, we switch back over to Joram. Okay, I want to go back over to... Uh, Jehoram, and we're going to go over to Chronicles for a moment. Chronicles 21. Let's look at Jehoram. Chronicles 21. So, and Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. Then Jehoram his son reigned in his place. He had brothers, the sons of Jehoshaphat, and here are the names of the brothers. Let's go to the next verse. Their father gave them great gifts of silver and gold and precious things with fortified cities in Judah, but he gave the kingdom to Jehoram because he was the firstborn. Now I'm going to pause there for a moment. So he's blessed all the sons. He's given them gifts, but who has he given the kingdom to? Jehoram. Okay, now we go to the next verse. Now when Jehoram was established over the kingdom of his father, he strengthened himself and killed all his brothers with the sword and also also others of the princes of Israel. So he wipes everybody out. Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. Verse 6, And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, just as the house of Ahab had done, for he had the daughter of Ahab as a wife, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Yet the Lord would not destroy the house of David because of the con- co- covenant that he had made with David. And since he had promised to give a lamp to him and to his sons forever. In his days, Edom revolted against Judah's authority and made a king over themselves. Now I'm going to pause there for a minute. In verse 7, we see that God says, I won't destroy them. Uh, obviously, there's great wickedness here. Because of a covenant that I made with David. David. Now, just because God doesn't destroy doesn't mean that he's pleased with behavior. And so clearly we see that, that if it hadn't been for King David, Jehoram would have been wiped out. But God says, because of that promise, I'm gonna, I'm a promise keeper. All right. So Edom rebels. Verse 9 uh, So Jehoram went out with his officers and all his chariots with him, and he rose by night and attacked the Edomites who had surrounded him and the captains of the chariots. Thus Edom has been in revolt against Judah's authority to this day. At that time, Libna revolted against his rule because he had forsaken the Lord God of his fathers. Moreover, he made high places in the mountains of Judah, and he caused the inhabitants of Jerusalem to commit harlotry, and led Judah astray. So now we see that Jehoram is adding high places, a worship to false gods, and he's causing Jew- Jerusalem to commit harlotry and led Judah astray. So there, he's uh, encouraging and even forcing the worship of false gods upon his people. Verse 12, and a letter came to him. From Elijah the prophet. Now, this is, uh, this is pretty awesome because Elijah the prophet has a letter for Jehoram. So we're kind of backing up in time here. And this is the prophecy. Thus says the Lord God of your father David. Because you have not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat, your father, or in the ways of Asa, king of Judah. But have walked in the way of the kings of Israel and have made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem... To play the harlot like the harlotry of the house of Ahab, and also have killed your brothers, those of your father's household who were better than yourself. Behold, the Lord will strike your people with a serious affliction your children, your wives, and all your possessions, and you will become very sick with the disease of your, of your intestines until your intestines come out by reason of the sickness day by day. Wow. Verse 16. Uh, you know, it's kind of interesting because it's just like, it's uh, it's just exemplary of the rottenness on the inside, and God just going to bring it out. Verse 16, Moreover, the Lord stirred up against Jehoram the spirit of the Philistines and the Arabians who were near the, the Ethiopians. And they came up into Judah and invaded it and carried away all the possessions that were found in the king's house and also his sons and his wives so that there was... Not a son left him except Jehoahaz, the youngest of his sons. After all this, the Lord struck him in his intestines with an incurable disease. Then it happened in the course of time after the end of two years that his intestines came out because of of his sickness. So he died in severe pain and his people made no burning for him like the burning for his father's. He was 32 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem eight years, and to no one's sorrow departed. However, they buried him in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings. He's uh, pretty well loved, isn't he? So uh, Jehoram caused, uh, did a lot of wickedness and caused a lot of evil. But notice this, that even if Israel was worshiping the Lord God under the reign of Jehoshaphat, now in these eight years he's forcing Israel to commit or Judah sorry Judah to commit harlotry and go after these other gods and we see that Judah is paying the price for it remember under Jehoshaphat Jehoshaphat's reign God gave incredible victories to Judah and protected them he gave peace to the people of Judah during that time because Jehoshaphat was godly but now because of the rebellion because of the wickedness the peace is being stripped from Judah, and there are still, I'm sure, godly people in Judah, and that's probably one of the reasons why they're not at all sorry that he's dead and gone because of the wickedness that he did. So we say goodbye to Jehoram, uh, this wicked king, and then we, uh, now the rest of the acts of Joram uh, and all that he did were back in Second Kings, uh, sorry, let's go to verse 25. In the twelfth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, so we're we're talking about the king of Israel, Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, so that's that's Jehoram after his intestines rotted and came out. We have Ahaziah, his son, take over as king of Judah and began to reign. Ahaziah was 22 years old when he became king and reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was uh, Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri, king of Israel. And he walked in the way of the house of Ahab. And did evil in the sight of the Lord, like the house of Ahab. For he was the son-in-law of the house of Ahab. Now he went with Joram, the son of Ahab, to war against Hazael, king of Syria, at Ramoth-Gilead. And the Syrians wounded Joram. Then King Joram went back to Jezreel to recover from the wounds which the Syrians had inflicted on him at Ramah, When he fought against Hazael, king of Syria... And Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Joram, the son of Ahab, in Jezreel, because he was sick. Now, you can read, we're running out of time here, but you can read the rest about Ahaziah back in Chronicles. Because in Chronicles 22, we read that it was as a result of him going to visit that God used this to do away with a Ahaziah, this wicked king as well. So we'll, we'll pick up next week in chapter nine, but a couple of things just in ending here. Uh, I think it's important to recognize that when we do, when we walk in godliness and righteousness, we have an effect upon all the people around us. It doesn't mean that you're promised an easy life, Or that all things will be good, but it certainly means that you will bear fruit. In fact, God promises that for those who do not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but who delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on it day and night, he will be like a tree planted by water, streams of water, and bear fruit in its season. In fact, more than that, it says he will be blessed in all he does. And we saw that with Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat blessed his whole kingdom because of his his desire to be right before God and his desire to honor God in in these things. Now we go to Jehoram, his son, and we see that because of his wickedness, his kingdom is uh, under siege. They're losing things, and God has removed that blessing from them. And I want to encourage you. Obviously, you're not kings, or queens in the sense of ruling. I know there's songs about being daughters of a king and being a Christian in that sense, but um, literally you're not ruling as kings or queens. But certainly you can have a godly influence on all those around you. And I think it's important to think about this, and maybe there is a sin or a practice of rebellion in your life that it is time to confess to God. You've been walking in the way of, of a sinful habit, a sinful behavior, a rebellious idea, uh, a rebellious philosophy, whatever the case is, but you've been walking in this way and this is an opportunity for you to repent and for you to surrender that to the Lord and then to start walking in a way that is godly and bless those around you as you, as you walk with the Lord. So I want to encourage you that tonight as we close. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this time together. If you are one of those who says, I, I, I've i got to repent of this. I'm, I don't want to walk in in evil. I don't want to walk in rebelliousness. You just pray right now, Lord, forgive me. Restore my relationship with you. You confess that now to the Lord. Lord, I'm ready to walk in godliness and righteousness. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use me mightily for the people around me, that I might be a blessing in my workplace, in my family, in my community. Lord, all these areas of people that we interact with every day, God, we want to be bear fruit, and we want to be salt and light among the people. So use us mightily. We thank you, Lord, that you use the mouth of Elijah and the mouth of Elisha, your servants, to call people back to faith in you. And Lord, our country, we, we need that here, Lord. There is a rebelliousness that is set in. There is a wickedness, a turning away from you, and we all see it. And Lord, we're sorry to see our country go through this, but we ask, Lord God, that you might use us to turn, turn this around, Lord, that we might influence the people around us, that, that there might be a revival in, in our community and in our nation, we thank you, dear God, for your love for us and we thank you that you paid the ultimate price for us. You died for us on that cross and rose from the dead, giving us victory over death. So we give you all the praise and all the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I want to leave you with uh, the end of First John. We know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God in eternal life. Amen. Lord.